dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hey friends, this is Mother Natalia and today's episode is Father Michael's. He's sharing some little tidbits from recent homilies he's given, but we also throw in there homilies from some other people, from Bishop Kurt, from my friend Father Jan, and then um, you get the extra gem of hearing the last homily given by my friend, Father John Kachuba. So it's a beautiful podcast that um, goes through the pre-Lenten Sundays, which is good as we enter into this fasting season. And our banter, we weren't super watching carefully, but it's about eight minutes after the end of this recording. But if you skip it, hashtag banter haters, you will miss the idiom that Father Michael messes up. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. There you go. Lots of voices today. Lots of voices. Um, before we banter, I want to introduce whoever's here because that may be part of the banter. Um, so how are you doing, Mother? That is a very okay, loaded good. question. Sorry, okay. that was really loud. I'm going to turn. No, I'm okay. Um, I think there's a bit of a delay, but anyway, we're going to push through. Oh. Um but anyway, we'll 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 all we'll know when more when we continue talking. Um, I have with me Phil Hurtado, who is on our listener advisory committee. We've given him headphones and a mic, and I just found out last night that Hurtado is the Mexican form of the Portuguese Furtado, which was my college crush, Nelly Furtado. So N- N- Nelly Furtado again. I don't know her personality at all. All I know is her pretty face. But like <laughs> when I, I I used to say that that the way the time I knew, and I probably even said this on the podcast, the time I knew that I was called to celibacy, or I, the time I, the moment I knew I could I could say yes to a call to celibacy was the moment that I like in my mind imagined Nelly Furtado coming up to me going, "Hi Michael, I I'd like to go on a date with you." And anyway, what do you think? And I would say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Nelly, but I'm discerning celibacy and I just have to say no." And like I actually did that in prayer one time. I'm like, "I think I could do it now." I think if Nelly Furtado <laughs> walked up to me, I was like, "I want to go on a date, Michael." I think I could say like, "Oh, sorry, Nelly, I'm honored, but you know, I I'm actually discerning celibacy." And um so anyway, <laughs> that's that's Phil Hurtado. <laughs> Funny thing is, my wife's name's Kelly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. So the the so Phil's here. We also have Andrew Whaley, who all you all know. Andrew Whaley, um, who doesn't who doesn't have a mic for obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm already famous enough. But he but he does have headphones so he can hear mother. And then without a mic or headphones, we have Chris Mowry, who we call Cowboy, who's just kind of sitting scrolling Instagram or something over there in the corner. I'm trying to find the answer to your question about the Oriental Church Secretary. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna fact check as he does. Cowboys are our parish fact checker for all things Roman Catholic. Hmm. Um so he'll fact check any Roman Catholic things that we say. So, um, oh yeah, I heard there's a new. Anyway, well, I heard there's a new secretary, and that he's like a Maronite monk or something. Well, this is my question, and I'm just showing my ignorance here. Cowboy's looking it up, but I saw a post today about about a new uh, secretary for the dicastery, dicastery of the Oriental Congregation. Now, I thought we had one like months ago. I thought we got one months ago. Um, but- I feel like it was like a year or two ago. Oh my gosh, I'm sure my ignorance. But who is who is who is Archbishop George Galaro? What is oh. like what what is his role? I thought he was the secretary. <laughs> oh. I'm a priest. 
I don't know. I know things. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we'll we'll figure it out. Cowboys, Cowboys, looking it up for us. Um, Cowboy, you have a, a tuft of hair over your left ear. You didn't shave off. Sorry. <laughs> you just announced that on the podcast. That's so unkind. We'll edit this out. You, you know why? No, because I'm always afraid I'm going to do that. So I, I always. The first time I've ever shaved my head, ever. <laughs> really? I have the most hair of anyone in this. Yes, room. you do. Well, I, I like Phil's mohawk better, though. Um, Phil has a great That's funny because the first but time he's ever done it, I, I'm always afraid. I'm sorry. You also have a great beard. Who are you talking about? Father Michael. Oh, me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I said you. I like Phil's mohawk, and I said, but you also have a great beard. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> if only I had my beard and Phil's mohawk, that would be like ideal. <laughs> and Andrew Whaley has just luscious everything. Cowboy has the best goatee. Okay. <laughs> that embarrassed mother to no end. <laughs> What's next? You have lots of good qualities too, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not graying yet, are you, mother? I, I have a couple. I think I have a couple gray hairs. Not, Long, I think like, I definitely you, have it, a couple. If Jesus loves you, you're going to be totally brown in the front one inch of your bangs, <laughs> and then gray and all the rest because that's all anybody sees except maybe Mother Gabriella. If Jesus loves me, <laughs> so okay. As I start to gray, that means Jesus doesn't love me. <laughs> Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying? All right, we have like two two minutes left of banter, so I want to ask you, Mother do you do you want do you want me to talk about my illegal activities for the past three months, or do you, do we want to hear about Phil's dream last night? Oh, <laughs> um, you don't want to share your dream, Phil? No. Okay, Those never mind. Those both sound we're... really stressful to me. I guess your illegal activity. <laughs> okay. Phil, Phil doesn't want to tell his I dream, know so that's I'll why I chose illegal activity. Okay, <laughs> if she, she she's a woman. She can she can read these things. Um, I mean, he literally said no. It doesn't take so a woman I, oh, to I understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you could also see the look on his face. Um, so uh, so I yesterday you'll be proud of me, mother. I went to the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, and I I am now have a valid license and a valid registration. Which I'm I sorry. Have you not? <laughs> I have not. You'll be proud of me, mother. I have a valid license and registration now. <laughs> well, I would have needed to know that you haven't. <laughs> so, so the registration I tried renewing online, but then I had a fourteen dollar fee that I could not pay online for some reason for driving without insurance for six months. And the reason why that happened is because State Farm in Colorado, where I came from, mm-hmm. and the State Farm in California were arguing over whether I was covered or not. I remember so, this. Remember this? And so I was going by the State Farm in Colorado, and I was paying them money every single month. And then all of a sudden, after six months, I get a check in the mail for like $1,200 from State Farm in Colorado going, sorry, we were wrong. You were never covered for those six months that you were paying us money. So, but, so I thought... Okay, well, I, I got this check for twelve hundred dollars, and that was great. I got free money. Um, but the state of California was saying, "Yeah, you are not insured for those six months. Therefore, you owe us fourteen dollars." <laughs> I'm like, "That's totally worth it." Like, I, I, I'm so tempted just to do it again. I'm not going to, but I'm tempted to do it again. And then my driver's license, I never got a new one. I saw my Colorado license, and guess when I realized that it expired on my birthday, which was last Friday. And guess what I was doing on my birthday? 
traveling in the airport. So I got oh. to TSA and they're like, they're like running my ID. It's beeping. And the woman like didn't look to see if that was the issue, I think, to see if it has expired or not. So then I pull it out of the machine. I look at it. I realize it's expired. I put on a poker face like I don't see that it's expired. And I, I try it two more times. And then finally she goes, just go ahead, honey. I was like, okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now, now, now she did look at the with, ID. Ugh, I know. It's infuriating. I know. That, <laughs> and I, and I, she looked at it, so I'm not, I don't want to rip on the TSA. Like, like, oh, she look at, at that it. pretty little face. You're fine. Just go on with life. <laughs> she, <laughs> <laughs> nice beard. She saw my yeah, nice beard. Wish you had a mohawk. Um, <laughs> she, she had a. <laughs> <laughs> she, she had like a, but so she looked at the ID, like looked at my name, looked at my face, like so it was. She knew it was really me, um, but it was just it was just one day expired. And then when I got when I had the good TSA on the way back, the guy was actually like, actually TSA accepts licenses if they're expired under a year. I'm oh. Like, what? So I was like, oh okay, never mind. So I didn't, I, I didn't. It wasn't as fun and illegal as I thought it was going to be. All right. Well, I'm glad so, that right. you're legal now. All right, uh, moving on. Um, so, Phil, uh, feel free to chime in if you want to say anything. I may we may ask you a question as you go on. But Hi. his uh, his his dream that I'm, that we're not going to share was related to him being on the podcast today. So that's why I wanted to say it, but he's not going to do it. So that's okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, mother, you know how you have word from a pustinic? Yeah. Um, so I, as I mentioned before, I I have like word from a homilist. Uh huh. And I don't think we'll all call it that, but um, as I was as I was going about, you my should business because today, I think you've done one of them, so you should have like you were like okay. this is going to be a series, and then there was the one, and then there was one. Well, so okay, this is this is part two in the uh, word from a homilist, and it's actually I'm actually going to go through, and this is why it's so boring for both Whaley and Cowboy who are here because I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give some of my insights from my past three homilies. Hmm. Um, but they were all they were all done during pre-Lent. So I think hmm. they all they kind of fit for the pre-Lenten period. We are recording on Wednesday of Cheese Fair Week. So Lent begins in like four days and and mother is giddy with excitement. Um What's your favorite liturgy? Is it is it Forgiveness Vespers or is it the Great Canon of Saint Andrew? Andrew of Crete. Okay, yeah. So all of her favorite liturgies but are, I think, are coming up. I think Forgiveness Vespers is probably number four, maybe five. Okay, I I, I wish I had your brain because there's that. also Resurrection Matins. There's also that, Bridegroom Matins. Nice. There's also Forgiveness Vespers. She wasn't hey, yeah. <laughs> Whaley laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Like Sarah. Left. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I interrupted you. That's mother, fine. Sorry, it's I, just, I, don't know, I was saying favorite liturgies. Forgiveness Vespers is up there, though. I really love Forgiveness Vespers. Okay. So I'm trying to lean in this year. And I actually was very inspired by what the Spirit put in my heart for um, Judgment Sunday. And that's, it's already been helpful in a couple different ways. So I'll get to that um, in the end. But, um, my th- when I was so actually Zacchaeus Sunday, which actually does not begin pre Lent. So we Byzantines, for all of our our Roman Catholic listeners, we Byzantines have a series of weeks that lead up to the Great Fast, lead up to Lent, called pre Lent. And um, we this is where we begin praying at the Lenten Triodion. This is where we begin hearing um, gospels and epistles that have a lot to do with repentance that kind of prepare our heart for the coming of Lent. This is also where we begin. Uh, back before supermarkets were a thing where people would eat 
the various foods in their house over the course of a week that they would not eat during the Great Fast. So last week we had meat fair, we ate all the meat in the homes, technically, and then this week we're in cheese fair, we technically eat all the cheese in the home, except that in our modern situation, I went out and bought a bunch of dairy um, that's this week. What, that's what we of, do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you buy a bunch of dairy in order to eat it just to celebrate cheese fair. Um, and there's so I the infuriating milk. inconsistency that drives me crazy every year of how meat fair, you still fast on Wednesday and Friday, but cheese fair week, you can oh. have dairy on Wednesday and Friday. It's <laughs> so infuriating. This is this is part of mother's penance is the church being inconsistent about certain things and she has to, uh, has to thrive in the midst of great inconsistency. Whereas I didn't even realize that, that shows how, how pious I am. Um, also, I don't have um, I don't have a, a mother Theodora telling me when and to eat and not to eat certain things. So <laughs> I kind of just ran by the seat of my pants. Um, all right. Um, so Zacchaeus Sunday is actually technically not part of pre Lent. Um, it doesn't begin until the Sunday after that, publican of the Pharisee. But Zacchaeus Sunday is always before pre Lent begins, and it, it is so. Um, the theme, of course, is repentance because Zacchaeus is a very repentant man that it just makes sense and oftentimes gets grouped in with pre-Lent even though it's technically just the last last Sunday of, of, um, of Luke before pre-Lent begins. Um, so uh, this, was an, this was something I learned actually from the Carnazzo brothers. Um, they have a podcast called Byzantine Gospel Reflections. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, it is not always updated on Apple Podcasts, but you can go to the Institute of Catholic Culture um, and and listen to it there. Um, so anyway, I they have they have great uh, great Sunday reflections upon actually the Roman Catholic and the Byzantine Catholic Gospels mm. for the coming Sunday. Um, and they're both scripture scholars. They're both good priests. Um, so anyway, I got this. The so Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a a short Wee little man. man. He is also. He is also a he is a short man. He is also very very rich, and he is also a tax collector. Um, so shortness doesn't really come into play in anything else other than it's kind of fun to make fun of short people, and the people probably did that, especially someone they didn't like, like a like a uh, tax collector. But um, from my understanding, scripture scholars can yell at me and throw rocks or whatever. But in my understanding, um, pretty much tax collectors like Matthew were not were not really liked by anyone except maybe their friends if they had any. Um, the, the, the Romans who had invaded the Holy Land were, were just kind of, they mocked them. They, they, they understood they were traitors because tax collectors were often Jewish people. And, and it really wasn't, we don't understand this as Americans, but we, it really, back then you didn't really tax your own people. Citizens didn't get taxed in their own land, especially in the land that God gave them. So when the, when the Romans came in and invaded and took over, they were charging the 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 citizens taxes because they were invaders so tax collectors booths like Matthews were 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 there meant especially to tax people coming in and out of the gate of the town and things like this um, but the Romans weren't about again in my understanding weren't about to actually pay these men anything so they just pretty much said you collect the taxes we demand and anything over the amount that you collect from the people that's your salary mm-hmm. so the fact that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and a very wealthy man as the as as the scriptures say, um, means that he actually took a lot of money from the people. He probably was cheating people 
maybe even as fellow tax collectors. So the Romans were, were kind of rolled their eyes or mocked about these traders that they were taking advantage of. And the Jewish people certainly didn't like them because they were taking their money and extra and they were, they were working for the invaders. So they were certainly traders to the Jews. Um, this was who Zacchaeus was. And so the fact that the gospel mentions that he was short was probably similar to what we hear about the golden calf. So um, I learned in seminary that the golden calf that Aaron and and the people, the um, the uh, Hebrews created when they melted down their gold from Egypt, the golden calf was either probably actually a golden bull or a golden cow. A golden bull would have shown like strength and and courage and then, or, you know, vitality, whereas a golden cow would have showed um, like fruitfulness fecundity, et cetera. So, um, but the fact that it's identified as a golden calf was probably in a sense making fun of it. It, it was, it was um, lessening the reality mm. of it to show how it may have looked big and strong or fruitful, but, but the, the author, when they wrote golden calf, it was more like um, a, a little knock mm. on, on either the bull or the cow. Now, again, that's what I learned in seminary. Other people may have a different view. Did you but the know, same thing may be did true. Did you know that when I worked at Chick-fil-A, um, I was sometimes the mascot and that because I was so short and my tail would drag on the ground and sometimes they called me the Chick-fil-A calf instead of the Chick-fil-A cow. <laughs> That's funny. Well, there we go. It's, it's, see, it's, it's built into human nature. Well, then we both have that in common, Mother. Do you know what, what character I dressed up as when I was 16 years old? The rat at, Chicky, at Chuck E. Cheese. See that that's another <laughs> that's another little insult because it was a, it was a mouse. <laughs> but, <laughs> Same difference. But people call it a rat. <laughs> Same idea. Um, so it may have been. It may have. <laughs> it looks like a rat. <laughs> oh, it does, and we we used to say that all the time. Um, but the fact that Zacchaeus, I mean, he probably was a short man, obviously, but, but the fact that that's kind of emphasized may have been a little bit of a dig on this, this traitor to the Jewish people, um, who, who, uh, was kind of being mocked in, in every way. Like we, we, we razz people that we don't like. Um, so the fact that he was wealthy, but this act of repentance, because he says in the gospel, I'm going to give half my property to the poor. If I cheated anybody, I will pay him back four times the amount. Um, so that he did cheat people, most likely. Again, people disagree on this. Listen to your pastor. Um, but but um, whether, whether he had already done that, some people say he was already giving half his property to the poor and paying back four times the amount. Some people say he had a conversion at the moment. But whatever happened, Jesus invited him. He came down the tree and welcomed Jesus joyfully and with haste. Mm. And that's important. Joyfully and with haste. What I love about this, we see oftentimes and many times in the gospel, is that Sometimes the people that are living pretty pious lives, the devil sneaks up on them, on us. I'll say us because I live a I live a relatively pious life, and and I'm not the hero here. The devil sneaks up on us and says, like, and we think we're doing pretty good, and then the devil just whittles away at our resolve mm. or whittles away at our piety, and all of a sudden we we have fallen really really far over over a span of time mm-hmm. and don't even realize it. Our sin has caught us off guard and the little sins have built up to become big sins, but we didn't identify them as big sins. So the devil loves taking people that are generally pretty pious and holy, whittling away at them in ways that they do not see. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have these great sinners like Zacchaeus and like the publican that we'll hear about, that we heard about the next week. You have these great sinners who in a moment 
Like he came out of the tree quickly and joyfully. Like you, you, like we would have judged him, and the people did judge him as this horrible, horrible sinner. Even the people there, they say um, Jesus has gone to stay at a sinner's house. I mean, he was such a public sinner, but his conversion was so sudden. So there, there's it. It, it kind of messes up our view of thinking that that the worst people in the world, we think that they have no hope. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes they do. Sometimes the worst of sinners can actually have a, a quicker and more joyful conversion than those of us who have who think we're doing great and have, have been doing relatively good for a while, but have been letting the devil whittle away at us. Um, and this is, I think that's a great message to begin. But what the Carnazzo brothers say is that, the, this this sycamore tree was not like an American sycamore when we think of a sycamore tree. The sycamore trees they said by the side of the road in Jericho are actually fig trees, like like little tiny mini figs that grow on the trunk of the tree instead of the leaves. Therefore, they're small and they're bitter. And therefore, the sycamore figs that that grow in Jericho that he probably climbed up by the side of the road was was a tree of the poor. This is this is where the poor ate. This is where the homeless walking down to the poor that could not afford nice big trees in their yard with nice big figs that grow in the leaves. So these tiny little figs that grew on the trunk, they would they would eat those and it was sustaining, but it was just not good. It, it didn't taste good, it wasn't enough, etc. So therefore the the tree was very much a tree of what what they called poverty of spirit. Mm. Um, so he was a very rich man, but in his humility, being a short man, he climbed the tree, which would have meant they mocked him even more for that, just to see who Jesus was out of this kind of pious curiosity. And then when Jesus saw him, welcomed him, he came down quickly and with joy. And the what I said in my homily that I think is important is that whenever we see a mountain in the scriptures, we think of of like a pilgrimage, of a journey, like like the the top of the mountain is where God is. This is where God dwells, and the journey to get there is actually hard. It's it's a pilgrimage. The top of the mountain is hard. So there's of course Mount Tabor, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Mount Carmel. There's all these mountains in the scriptures where where God is at the top, and people have to journey or getting to getting to God is an effort. So the same thing is true with trees. Whenever we see trees in the scriptures, it's always about the fruit. What is the fruit on that tree? So of course, the tree of life that we now understand to be the cross, right? The cross was the tree of life. The fruit on the tree of life was Jesus's body that hung on the cross. And then when we receive that fruit, it's actually the Eucharist. So when we receive the Eucharist, we live forever. That's the tree of life. Um, the Carnazzo brothers said that when at the very beginning of pre-Lent, they didn't say this, but I this is what I inferred from them. This may be my own thought. I hope it's of God. Um, that that Zacchaeus, they did say this. Zacchaeus was the fruit of the tree of poverty of spirit. Hmm. So um, like he's a man in a tree. Jesus was a man in a tree. Um, he he's and when we see this, we think of the cross. So but but Zacchaeus's cross, his metanoia, his conversion was poverty, poverty of spirit. By by even though he's rich, giving getting, being willing to give away the riches to the poor, but also the humility of the action of being a short man climbing a tree. And my my insight was that from the very beginning of pre Lent, when you climb up that tree, you can kind of see all the way to the tree at the end. So there's this, um, there's, you climb up one tree, you can see higher down the mm. road, so you can kind of see the tree at the other end. So you have these, these ends of the great fast. At the very beginning of pre-Lent, you have poverty of spirit, poverty of spirit. If we truly have that poverty, then we're able to more clearly see the tree of the cross at the end of the great fast. And poverty in this way, poverty of spirit, gives us a, a softened heart and a, um, 
more of a willingness to accept the grace of the tree of life that is the cross at the end of the great fast. That's great. I um the Zacchaeus Sunday was I think the last homily that I heard from Father John Kachuba, so that's very beautiful. When he I wasn't here. Oh, you weren't here. No, I was at wait, my wait, gra- wait, I was so- in New York. So do you have any insights from him then? Because I, I asked you to pull up his homily, but his homily was for, for uh, Meat sheep and the goats, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I have that pulled okay. up. I do. Okay. Um, but do you remember anything from his homily for Zacchaeus? You remember these things a lot better than I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> well. Um, <laughs> You're like, yes. He, <laughs> he um, I was thinking of when you were talking about how it's kind of fun to like make fun of short people. And he started his homily um, because in the gospel, right, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. And so Father John comes out and he stands on the ambon and he says, Mother Natalia, Mother Cecilia, come down from that tree. <laughs> um, and he said afterwards that he didn't know which of us was shorter. So he just said both of us. Um, which, I think Mother Cecilia is shorter, isn't she? Uh, by like half an inch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyways, he, well, he was talking about he kind of talked about the um, our different vices and um, the tree being like that we all have these different trees of vice that we need to come down from. Um, so he took a different approach to it, but yeah. So for our listeners who don't know who this is, can you please explain what who he is and what happened? Um, sure. Father John Kachuba is one of the retired priests of the Eparchy of Parma who... Uh, would have liturgy for us very often at the monastery. And he um, he and I, over the last like year and a half or so, have grown pretty close and have coffee together and things like that. Um, he gave me like very beautiful feast day gifts and things. And um, anyways, he on Meet Fair Sunday, the Sunday of, um, oh my goodness, Judgment. Judgment. Thank you. <laughs> sheep and the goats. Um, yeah, with the go- the gospel is the sheep and the goats. Uh, he had liturgy here, and then he, I, I was not here. I was in New York because I was there for my grandma's funeral, and um, Father John had liturgy, and then he couldn't stay for coffee, and so because he had a luncheon to go to, and. Mother Cecilia had noticed that he was out of breath and she asked if he was okay and he said he was okay and that he had a doctor appointment on Monday Um, and then he didn't show up to his lunch and they went to mm, check on him at his house and he had died uh, right after he got home. So they found him lying beside his car Uh, and yeah, we were all very shocked by it because he's not, like he wasn't, um, he wasn't like, dying. I mean, clearly he was, right? But um, yeah, so it was a very, he's 75. So um, Mm. yeah, so he had, he knew that I wasn't going to be at liturgy because of my grandma's funeral. And so he sent me his homily um, a few days beforehand. Mm. And so I had received his homily. um, And obviously he didn't know, and I didn't know that it would be his last homily. Um, But uh, yeah, so that's, that's Father John. So I love him very, very Thank much. You. So, Amen. So please pray for the soul of Father John mm-hmm. Kachuba. Um, if uh, I'm going to share a few things about 
about that, and then maybe we'll have you read because it's a pretty short homily. Oh yes, right? so it's I, very I short. It online, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, we'll have you read his homily. Maybe after I just give a quick, a couple of quick reflections sure. um, about that. But any other thoughts on either Mother or Phil on Zacchaeus? I remember that we did an episode on Zacchaeus last year, so I think I would encourage people to check that out if you haven't. Um, it was inspired by a homily that Father Cyril Pinchak had given on Zacchaeus, because mm. um, he's also a great homilist. But it was interesting to hear you talking about the sycamore tree, because I was in the Holy Land with Father Sebastian Carnazzo, um, and so he had like um, pointed out the sycamore trees to us and things like that, and uh, so that was really fun. I mean, there's this one tree that's like um, set up as a shrine sort of thing, you know, and they're like, this is the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. maybe. <laughs> so so Andrew Whaley just handed me a, a, a verse from Amos um, about a sycamore fig. And, oh. um, and so when, when, I, when I was doing my research for the homily, I found that and I read the entire book You did book research for your homily? <laughs> Sorry. Um, every every once in a while, that was genuine surprise. That wasn't me trying to. Call I, you I out. actually I actually did a lot of research this one. I read the entire book of Amos, and then I wow. I I was looking for any verse that I could tie into Zacchaeus, and I after after finding that one for the sycamore tree. What what verse is it, Whaley? Um, it is homework for our listeners. Amos seven fourteen. Amos seven fourteen mentions that he was what uh, took care of sycamore figs. He says, I, "I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, but I am a, a plucker of wild figs." Yeah, my favorite um, version of that. Okay. But it, they, he dressed the, the those same trees you're talking about because that's what they use to feed. The, 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 the sheep and the, okay. and, and, and the ghost. So it, it was it was food for animals that the poor food, the yeah. poor would also mm-hmm. eat. I mean that 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 makes sense for the theme. But <laughs> but and then I even did more research because I followed, I called Father Jack Custer and I said who's like a doctorate in, in in Bible scholarship and knows the Old Testament very very well and I said like is there any connection Father I can I can have between Amos and Zacchaeus and he's like. No, <laughs> and it's, it was, which was very Father Jack. Yes. and I was like, okay. And then I'm, I'm telling him all these things, and I'm like, where? How, how do I explain like the two trees? One at the beginning of Lent, well, one at the end of Lent. That he's just like, you made that up, Michael. Just <laughs> say that you came. exactly. Yes. Just say you made it up. Say you come. I'm like, I'm like trying to find all these other other sources. He's like, just you're a homilist. You don't need a bibliography for a homily. I'm like, okay, thank you, Father. <laughs> he was also my he was my scripture professor and my homily. Professor, um, mm. so he ties those two things in pretty well. All right. Um, so uh, the next Sunday was publican of the Pharisee. Mm. Um, the uh, I actually I don't have any reflections on prodigal son this year because I was I preached seven Roman Catholic masses that Sunday um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was giving. Was that a, like your uh, dream? Seven homilies. <laughs> That's the fullness of homilies. Honestly, I think it was only six. Oh. Sorry, if, you, if you're listening from St. Matthew's in, in Charlotte, um, I think it was only six. One on Saturday night and then five on Sunday. This is the largest Roman Catholic church in the whole US. Um, 11,000 families, like 35,000 people, 70 people on staff. That's um, insane. And they only have one, two, three, four. Priests. Their staff is anyway. bigger than a lot of our Byzantine parishes. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that exact same thing. Um, so anyway, it was well. Shout out to all those of you who started listening to my podcast because of that. that <gasps> shout was, out to Nathan and Blake. 
That's totally irrelevant, but I needed to say it. We have a guest. Well, you would have forgotten. <laughs> yes, I would have forgotten. We have a guest okay. here right now, and at the airport, she ran into. Oh, I really hope it was Nathan and Blake. I hope I got that right. Um, <laughs> she ran into someone at the airport, and she said that she was going to visit a monastery in Ohio. And they were like, "Do you mean Mother Natalia's monastery?" And um, they were. <laughs> so then he called his friend over, and they're like, "I think college students." And um, they're so. Anyways, shout out to Nathan and Blake. Shout out to Nathan Blake. All right, uh, publican and the Pharisee. Um, so the next Sunday is the real kickoff of, of pre-Lent. And we have the story of the publican and the Pharisee both walking into the temple. Of course, the Pharisee walks to the front and raises his eyes and thanks God for everything, including not being like the publican. And the publican walks into the back, does not look up to heaven and beats his breast and says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, this is basically where we get the Jesus prayer from. Um, but it's also very fitting for us Byzantines because that's exactly what we should do. I mean, there, there's definitely, it's similar to like just genuflecting when you get to your pew in the Roman church. But when you walk into the church, um, you should do a, a, a grand, at least, well, some sort of metony, a, a bow and the sign of the cross. Um, and then I, I also think it's a good thing to just quote the, quote the publican, the, the tax collector, because he is the hero of the story. Um, but one of my insights this year about this that I was preparing mother for my homily um, when I was preparing the homily was I that I didn't uh, mean for it to come out of my mouth. You know I you know, don't you're, have a you're, filter. You're, the problem is you're correct 95% of the time. <laughs> Um, the only reason I, I'm bringing this up on this podcast is because these are actually ones I prepared for. Um, but but there, there's a sense of, and I, I don't want to take too much time with this um, because I also want to hear from Phil. We've been he's I know I know he's not, doesn't talk a lot anyway. And still. I have something about Republican um, and Pharisee and prodigal son. So talk quick. Nice. Okay. Perfect. Well, so the, I guess the I'll I'll edit them. The one insight I want to give about the publican and the Pharisee is that some have said that. The to see that there's very much a a, a a a theme of posture. You know, for us Byzantines, posture is a very important thing. We have our prostrations, we have our bows, we stand, we rarely sit. The posture of standing is a posture of dignity of receiving the resurrection of Christ. Stand up, we rise because Christ rose. Um, it's also the prostration, of course, as, as in the fast coming up. Um, we have uh, we bow in these metanies, these metanoias that that we uh, these mo- these acts of conversion we make the sign of the cross. Of course, a lot. There's a lot of aspects of posture that that are important, and and this is very much a gospel about posture. The he doesn't the publican walks in doesn't raise his eyes. The Pharisee does raise his eyes, but um, some have reflected that in order for the Pharisee to see the publican because of where they both were standing in the in the temple, he would have had to turn around. Mm. And, and there's so he would have had to turn and look at the backwards. So he took his eyes off God, almost mm. like Peter in the ocean. He took his eyes off God to look at at the publican. And so there's this it, even even in that action, just like if you're going to Jericho in the scriptures, that means you're sinning. If you're going to Jerusalem, it means you're you're living a life of virtue. The, these kind of hidden, almost like secret codes in the scriptures. So the fact that the the Pharisee would have had to turn around means he turned away from God, took his turn eyes off around. God in order to judge. <laughs> in order to judge the uh, the publican, Whaley thought it was really funny. Oh, um, thanks, he's Suddenly laughing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he's singing along now, very silently. <laughs> um, he would have had to turn around. So there, there's a, um, 
so there's this act of turning around, but then also somebody said, I wish I looked this up beforehand, but somebody said, um, the ones who we look at in prayer are the ones who will judge us. So in other words, that there's, I don't know if that just came from a reflection upon this gospel, but if we look at God in prayer, then then we're we're calling upon Him to be our judge because He knows in our conversation, our prayer with Him, He knows uh, what's going on in our heart. Whereas the 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 publican looks down and says, looks at himself and his own conviction of his own sin, and then turns it to Christ. The Pharisee comes in. Thanks God, but then takes his eyes off him, almost like I was saying earlier, where the the greatest sinners are sometimes have the most hope if they if they do it quickly and joyfully. Whereas the the Pharisee who is kind of doing really well, obviously he's a Pharisee, he knows and follows the law. Generally, he's doing very well, um, but he took his eyes off of of God in order to look at the publican, and that 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 posture of turning around um, is a is a convic- convicting message to me about um, perseverance. Mm. Even though, even if we're doing pretty well, we need to make sure that we we are looking in the right direction, if you will, in prayer, not looking around us and judging those around us, um, as if we're God up on the throne, looking back at people and judging them. Rather, we are the ones being judged in a beautiful way, and and therefore looking up to God at the judge and and praying and asking for a continued holiness. Um, well, what I have to share, both on this and Prodigal Son, are from homilies. It's not my own thing, so there's still words from homilists, but. Uh, for the publican and the Pharisee, that's what we're talking about. Uh, I was at yes. the welcome liturgy for Bishop Kurt, and mm-hmm. um, who's our new apostolic administrator for the Eparchy of Parma uh, and the Eparchy of Phoenix. The, and Phoenix. Oh, the poor man. Um, <laughs> he has four eparchies now, and one of those <laughs> includes Father Michael O'Loughlin. Oh, bless his heart. So, um, <laughs> The bless his heart. <laughs> so, anyways, he gave a really great homily. Bishop Kurt is such a good homilist. Like every time I hear him mm-hmm. preach, I'm like, I want to know scripture the way this man knows scripture. Um, he just like really has. He makes me just love scripture more, uh, basically. So, anyways, when he was talking about the publican and the Pharisee, he said in this particular homily, he's like, the Pharisee only made one mistake. And he said, the Pharisees, you know, we, Pharisees get a bad rap because we hear all of these like, woe to you, um, and so on and so forth uh, from Jesus. But then there are actually like lots of Pharisees who did become Christians and who who did follow the Lord. And to be a Pharisee, um, you know, again, it just, it gets a bad rap, but like they're the people who were very devout, who really followed the law, the um, the religious law. And and knew the scriptures, like knew the Old Testament. And um, so he said, this Pharisee, he's doing the right things. He's praying, he's fasting. Um, He said, I hadn't thought of this before, but Bishop Kurt was like, you know, he even like doesn't try to take credit himself. He doesn't even say, I'm so wonderful. He says, thank you, God, for making me this way. Like he's He's giving the credit to God. Um, and he, Bishop Kurt said, the one mistake that the publican made, the Pharisee made, um, I think I said publican at the beginning. Um, I meant that the Pharisee just made one mistake. We know what you mean. Um, the, the one mistake the Pharisee made was to judge someone else. And, um, and that those who are judged will be judged as harshly. And which made me think of, we have this story <laughs> 
in our our prologue, the, our lives of the saints, we have this story of um, he's just called the monk who never judged anyone. And the whole story is like, <laughs> this monk is basically super lazy and doesn't really pray and like, just <laughs> like is not virtuous. And then he dies and he's like gonna go to hell. And he's like, but you said, don't judge and you won't be judged. And I've never judged anyone. And they're like, oh, you're right. You can go to heaven. And I'm like, that is the weirdest <laughs> story. But it's in our prologue. I think it's supposed to just teach a lesson. So anyways. Well, I, I can imagine this is why Paul is so insistent that that we don't sin in order to receive greater grace. Because that's a story where you're, you're kind of like, well, maybe if I'm, a, if I'm a really judgmental, maybe the way to stop being judgmental is just to become a total lazy bum myself so that I can't judge anybody because I'm not doing anything myself. So I'm just like anybody else. So I'm going to do that in order to not judge anybody. I'm not, I'm not saying to do that, listeners, at all. But I, I could see why, why St. Paul would have to explain himself because that would be a temptation when you realize that God can take immense sin even if we commit it and do great, great good with it. So. Mm-hmm. All right, Mother, then you want to talk about um, prodigal sons since I'm not going to? Can I say something? Oh, yes, please, Phil. Please. please. So last week we had, at the outreach in Tucson, we had uh, Archbishop Stefan give the homily. Retired Ukrainian right. bishop, yeah, yes. um, from Philadelphia, yeah. Uh, so he mentioned in the homily about the publican and Pharisee that the publican kept on using I statements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, reading it and hearing it, I didn't notice that. And he pointed it out, then I read it over again. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. He did make all these I statements. It was kind of like your uh, talk you guys had at the Super Bowl, Bowl party about uh, confessions and sins. Mm. That the Roman Catholic confessions are all I statements. I think you mentioned that. And it's hmm. more of a, you got to take the stance of like the Pharisee, where it's stuff like stuff like separating you from God. Oh, yes. Yeah. Not. So what we, you actually did, yeah. Going back to the involuntary sin podcast, where where the 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 Byzantine confession allows for more than just the the confession of intentional sins. You can actually share wounds that you have that have come from others as well. the 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 thing about the publican and the Pharisee, and this also happens in the Bible story of the uh, the man who builds bigger barns because he is such a good. Um, uh, harvest is that it both of the times I, I need to look at the original Greek, but it says they said to themselves. Mm. So it literally says the Pharisee said to himself, "Thank you, God," which is like whoa, you know. So I, I don't I don't know if that a Greek scholar would have to tell me if that's actually the case, but it's almost like he's talking to himself and not talking to God. But you could almost read it in the English at least, like he's like he's calling himself God, not intentionally. Like this is a Pharisee; he's probably a really good man. But there there's a when we do. When we do take too much pride in in what we are doing and not attribute the the glory to God enough, it all is it is saying, well, the one who is doing well is me. Therefore, I'm putting myself in the place of God. Um, but yeah, in, bo- in both instances, he the, he uses iolopity. Also, even says he says to himself, hmm. like it probably means like just kind of saying in his head, but it could sound like he's saying to himself, "Thank you, God," hmm. or "Thank you, Lord." Uh, thank you, Phil. Anything else on that? No. Okay. Mother? Um, well, prodigal son. So we had a priest here, Father Jan, who uh, has also become a friend of mine, who is just, he's utterly delightful. But he's, 
he's been coming here pretty frequently and his homily for prodigal son, I thought was very beautiful. He mentioned something that I've never thought of before, which he posed the question of what, what would have happened if like, we know that the prodigal son goes off. He's totally reckless. This is the meaning of the word prodigal, right? Reckless. And Mm -hmm. he just, spends everything, he loses it all, he ends up destitute. And Father Jan says, what would have happened if he had gone away and he'd actually been successful with the money? Like if he had invested it and uh, and become rich and all of these things and very successful and very admired and how would the story have ended? And it's very obvious that like he wouldn't have been driven back to his father, Right. And that's if you take the story at face value and not look at the deeper meaning of it. He actually went to go sin and went away from God. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if the sin had been, I think what she's at, and if the sin had been empowered even more so that he could sin even greater. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, but it's like if he'd actually been successful in his sin, even if he'd actually like, gone and like used it to make more money by cheating people and whatever the thing is um, and and hadn't lost it all, then he wouldn't have been driven back to his father. And it just for me was this, like we say that God uses all for good. We, we say that like he's in the suffering. We say that he's in um, the things that go wrong in our life and that there's a reason for everything. And, but it was just like a beautiful example of, like even though it's just a parable, it's a beautiful example of the Lord can use something that to the prodigal son surely felt like a lack of love. Um, It felt like the scorpion. It felt like the snake. It didn't seem like an egg or a loaf of bread. And, um, but it was the thing that he needed in order to drive him back into the arms of the father. And so how often are the things in our life that feel like a hardship and that feel like a punishment, um, like even the quote unquote punishments, the, the negative consequences for our sin and for our um, poor choices, like those are meant to drive us back into the arms of the father. Uh, Yeah. And even on the opposite side, the devil, this is why the devil sometimes empowers us to be successful in mm-hmm. what we want. The devil can literally answer our prayers sometimes and, and make us like, Lord, I want to be better at this or I want I want this you know, successful thing. The devil can give us those things and in a sense answer our prayers because he knows it'll bring about our downfall. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to be very, very careful in saying, I, I'm praying for this thing because somebody may answer it, and it may not be God, um, and and it also may lead to our downfall. So there there is always a a falling back on God's will. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Mother. Anything, Phil, about no. prodigal son? I, I I do love that it, that I, I learned this years ago. But that that prodigal just means reckless. It doesn't. I used to think when I was a kid. I think that that most people think that it just means like returned, mm-hmm. like the son who returned. It doesn't mean it means it means he was reckless, and therefore the the father also was reckless in his love. You know, the older son is a testament to that. Dad, you're being reckless in your love. You know, you're 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 giving the son who returned all these things you didn't even give to me. Like that that doesn't make any sense. That's a reckless type of love. And and of course that's the type of love that God has for us. Mm-hmm. Thank God. 
All right. Um, following that is what we call um, Meat Fair Sunday or Judgment Sunday or um, Sunday of the, the Sheep and the Goats. Um, and the epistle is actually what I focused on um, in my adult homily. I talked to the kids a little bit about the sheep and the goats, but my, the epistle is what I focus on because, um, as I mentioned, like I've been very blessed. And I, after I, what I just said about the devil answering our prayers, I need to be more careful about this. But <laughs> I've been very, I've been very blessed just to be very happy. Um, and and the Jesus and his church have always made a lot of sense to me. There there hasn't been there hasn't been anything where I just said. I'm obedient to the church's teaching on this, but I really don't like it. Do you, there has, do you then I, say I, thank you, God, for not making me like thank like you, Mother, Natalia. Like Mother Natalia, who just <laughs> questions everything about all the church teachings? No. <laughs> that is not true. Maybe we don't have to say that on the podcast. It Let's clarify true, that that's not true. <laughs> of course. Um, but then I, but then I, I realized this is one of those things. the The epistle for for Meet Fair Judgment Sunday is Saint Paul saying that that if in my freedom and knowledge, the fact that I know that meat offered to idols doesn't actually change the meat, and therefore in my freedom and knowledge, I can eat the meat offered to idols because it doesn't actually mean anything. But if that causes another person to slip up, if that Mm. causes scandal, I will never eat meat again. And I just, I'm like, Paul, no, bud, no, that that's not it. Like, I know, I know that is it because he's Saint Paul, and it's the Word of God. But, but I, I don't. And actually, I was, as I said, my homily, Saint John Chrysostom kind of redeems my thought on this because Saint John Chrysostom does hint in his own homilies about this on the fact that we should try to those who, those who are ignorant and and more prone to, more prone to. Um, I guess be lukewarm or beige in their understanding. So I guess I think the point here is that Saint Paul can go in to because I mean back in the day the the temples were like restaurants, right? People brought in food to offer to the idols, then the food was cooked and you ate it. So it was like it was like a restaurant. So Paul could say I can go to a, a pagan temple and eat because I know it's just a pagan temple. Now again, we need to be careful because a lot of the the, the pagan quote idols um, were demons, you know, but, but even, even in that sense, like meat offered to a demon, you know, doesn't necessarily change the meat. I don't want to go into this too much because we got to be careful with that. But, um, but there's a, the sense where St. Paul says, in my freedom and knowledge, I know this, that, that other meat is good and I can eat it. But if somebody's going to say, well, look, Paul's in there eating it. Therefore, I can kind of be Christian, but also dabble in paganism. Cause look, St. Paul's dabbling in paganism and that can be very, very dangerous. Paul knows he's not dabbling in paganism, but some people are going to see him doing it and think he is and therefore do it themselves. Those who are looking the dabble in paganism, which is really easy. So St. Paul says, if that's the case, I will never eat meat again. Well, St. John Chrysostom says, yes, try to try to give them information. Try, try to give them that freedom as well. Try to inform them about the truth of the matter. Um, if you can't, then yes, restrict your own freedom in this sense. Not, not the true meaning of freedom of being able to do the good. Um, what's the word you use one time, mother? Freedom or maybe use it, Whaley? What, what's the autonomy autonomy that that makes sense that wasn't the word I was thinking of though yeah, talking about I, I freedom to freedom. choose the good yeah freedom to choose the good is, is the true meaning of freedom there's another word that means like Altruism. like like the uh, the sense of that we think freedom is like the, the ability to do anything licentiousness uh, there's like there's like a it's just License. a 
A license, maybe license, yeah, maybe so licentiousness, yeah. So like like license, that was like, like the license to do whatever I want. That's mm-hmm. not what Christians mean by freedom. We mean what'd you say, cowboy? Liberty. Liberty, yeah, in a sense, that's probably Just the American way. But there's like a license to do a license to do anything is not what we mean by freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom means the ability to to know the good and to, to do it without without being hindered um, towards the good. But um, so. So we can we can actually sacrifice, and as Saint Paul says, sacrifice our our own license, our own ability to do whatever we want. And the reflection I had that was so important for me in my processing this reality, because I, that's the one teaching of the scriptures. I'm sure there's more if I if I think about it, but the one teaching where I just go, Lord, I, I why why do we have to restrict our own freedom when it is true? Like we are right, and those who are ignorant. And, and are, are more prone to fall in this way, they're wrong. So why can't I just be right and live my life? Why do I need to, why do I need to sacrifice something I like or enjoy for the sake of those who are weak? Mm. You know, I, I'm obviously the antagonist here. I'm not the protagonist. I'm saying this with full knowledge. Of course, St. Paul's right. And, but this is something like I need to grow and I need to process. And then I realized what, like Jesus gave everything. Christ gave everything. He gave his very life. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. Like when we're supposed to do that willingly and joyfully like Zacchaeus. So there's in a sense of, I can, I can willingly give up certain aspects of my own license, my own freedom, my own ability to do whatever I want, even though it's not harmful to me, I can give that as a gift to others. Mm-hmm. I can, I, and, and this is obvious in my celibacy, right? I gave up the, I gave up the ability to have a wife and a kid's out of out of a sense of vocation, but also out of a sense of gift to the church. And both of those are, are all in the same vocation. So there's a beauty to, to when we say, I'm actually going to restrict my ability to do everything, because of course, when we choose to do one thing, it often means we can't do other things. So this is why I think so many young people struggle with dating nowadays, because they realize that when you start dating seriously, you can't just date somebody else because you want to, right? You, 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 have to, you have to bite down. You have to say, I'm going to date this person, therefore not date everybody else. Um, so this is in the, the very Christian sense of freedom that the world just doesn't get, where we need to say, I choose this, and therefore I choose to not be able to participate in these other things through through this commitment. Um, so, But the way that I learned that this is a good thing was just to say, okay, you know, there are certain things that I'm not going to do, even though they're not bad. I'm not going to do them because other people may misunderstand them. Mm. And and if that's the case, and if I can't inform everybody and, and help them to understand, therefore I'm out, out of gift for them and out of gift for the church, I'm going to restrict my own ability to do these other things as a gift, not as a restriction, but as a gift. Mm. Um. And that's, I think, what, what the... Um, I have, I have, I, I can give the children my children's family reflection too, but we were kind of running out of time. But, the, but the, I think there's something beautiful to say. That's what Paul did. Paul did not. Paul was not somehow saying that we need to do this out of some sort of obligation, but we can actually offer our own ability to do these various things that are good. We don't do things that are good out of gift for others who may, within the body of Christ, may not understand or maybe led astray, scandalized by this. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it reminds me of. You know, when before my life profession, we had this really beautiful conversation about uh, celibacy, and and I was just like, Father Michael, it's so hard, right? And I'm not even to be frank, I wasn't even just like talking about like sex drive or something like that, right? I was talking about like not being married and not having children, and like that's just really hard. And 
and you had this um you had this beautiful insight of you were like you know you love fasting like you're really good at fasting and if you could come to see celibacy as part of your fast i think that you can embrace it with a lot more joy or something like that like it wasn't like i wasn't embracing it with joy right but just um yeah and i i think similarly we have to see these things like you said not as restrictions on our freedom but as um as a gift that we're giving in in self-sacrifice to mm-hmm. um the people that we love so Phil any thoughts on any of the past weeks or anything we said well fasting part is kind of funny but fasting i mean eventually you get to have it again yeah self is you don't <laughs> well, and I, I was actually going to mention that you don't you don't accept it, but in heaven where yes. union is perfect. So in a mm-hmm. sense, that's probably what we talked about, Mother, because I was thinking that. I was, thank you for bringing it up because there is a sense where where the, all the things I want out of a mar- out of a wife and kids I'm not going to have in this world, I will have those exact things in my union with Christ and everybody else in heaven. Mm-hmm. So that there, in a sense, the whole world is a fast when it comes to celibacy. Um, and that's the case for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, any, anybody, the things we give up, we will have the fullness of those things in heaven because Christ is the fulfillment of all desire, so... Yeah, and then the other part about the um, Saint Peter, mm-hmm. what I read out of it was, uh, or what I got out of it was, lead by example. Wait, see Saint Peter or Saint Paul? Or uh, Saint Paul? Or okay, the, the the meat. Oh yeah, Saint Paul. Okay, Saint yep, Paul. yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's like lead by example. Yeah, but I mean, it's tough when you're like on the top and everybody <laughs> looks at you from. The, yeah, you have to lead by example. You can't yeah. eat that meat. Mm-hmm. You can't go in there and have the feast because it's a I, Father Michael does not want to hear this. Phil, I know I do not want to hear this. No, but you're you're right. <laughs> there, there are certain there are certain responsibilities that come with authority. But even like for me as a a lay person, you know, I when I was visiting Japan and mm-hmm. going to all the shrines, they're so beautiful. But at the same time, I'm like I even told my wife I. People don't judge me for this because I'm a Catholic visiting a shrine. It's basically a Japanese pagan site. Yeah. Okay. And I hope nobody judges me for this, <laughs> but this is beautiful. Yeah, because uh, I, I do think there there is there is a great nuance to say where where do we where do we lead by example also to because I I have this weird fascination I've said this before with being judged wrongly like I love being judged wrongly because it actually helps people once they realize that the truth you know so that they're there then that can actually be a ministry that can be a charity to people where where you can if if you're if if anybody judges anything wrongly if when I judge something wrongly I, I it's a charity for someone to correct me it's a charity for someone to say, no, actually, you're wrong on this, because then that helps me grow, and they've done a good deed by doing that. So, But there, there's a nuance and a, and a wisdom that is necessary to know when do I, as a leader, like you said, Phil, when do I, as a leader, not do something because it's going to cause too much scandal, and when do I do something like my bar ministry that people judge me all the time for it. Smoking cigars. <laughs> Smoking cigars, exactly. Um, like w- like the, have a tattoo, you know, like at, w- at what point do you say, I'm going to do these things even though people judge me in hopes that they are able to grow from this in, in according to my understanding. And again, I don't want to judge them either to say like, well, I'm right about all these things and they're wrong. That may not be the case either. I may need to grow as well. Um, but there's still that, you may need that to aspect grow as well. of that balance. 
in these ways. Okay. <laughs> They're too late for the tattoo. I, if, if I'm wrong about tattoos, they're too late. <laughs> um, but like, like, like doing a bar ministry or smoking cigars, like I, I, those things can be done in, in great moderation. And I've, thank God, been able to use them in moderation. And I hope that can be a witness. But the day may come when I can't. And then I need to have somebody tell me like, okay, Father, you know, you're, you, you need to dial this back a bit or mm-hmm. something, do something differently. I hope I listen. But the lay people need to understand that you guys and women are humans. Yeah. You're men and women. Yeah. Men, men and women. Yeah. Um, and you do stuff. Yeah. You have to have other stuff. And, and I think... I, I think that aspect of our of our humanity. It's interesting because one of the things that I struggle with is when people people judge me as a priest and say, "Father, you should be doing it this." And I'm like, "You you have no idea about my life. Like you don't like you you don't know me and you don't know my life." And so, if if I started speaking from my ignorance into your life, like like if someone's a someone's a something weird like the they're 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 a party clown and I'm just like you know oh well let, let me let me speak into your life as a party clown you should be doing this and not doing that it's like you you don't I don't know that life um thank god um but um but 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 like you also don't know my life so so give suggestions you can you can tell me how you feel you can tell me what you think but do it from a place of of humility and 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 saying I you know I may be wrong and then I need to do the same thing when I talk about people who are married or have children or anything like that. I need I need to speak into their life with encouragement and with conviction, but from a place of great humility, because I may be wrong. And it's quite often I'm spitting at the screen. Um, it, it, I may be wrong, and I need to acknowledge that. And it, uh, then the person may listen to me, and I may listen to them if they kind of approach with that same pretty obvious conviction and humility. Or maybe you should tell them what you told me when I first met you, that cigar smoking is incensing the temple of God. Exactly. This is incensing the temple of the Lord because I am the temple of the Lord and I'm putting incense in my body. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got that from from uh, Father Cyril Farmer, your buddy, Whaley, um, who used to say when he would smoke cigarettes and he would just stand that out right in front of the door smoke cigarettes. All right. Um, we are just over an hour, so we need to shut it down. But any other thoughts, Mother? Any other thoughts, Phil? Um, I feel like it's short enough that I could still share the homily from Father John if you're okay with it. Oh, yes. No, please do. Please do. Please do. Thank you for that reminder. Okay. This Um, is his homily from Meat Fair. Yes. This is his homily from Meat Fair. And um, he left left behind, yeah, um, his last homily given the morning, like just a few hours before he died. And he left behind he he always like printed out his homilies um and he left the paper behind which he's never done before and like i so that was surely an accident um and like i said he had emailed it to me ahead of time but i wasn't here when he gave the homily um and so the other nuns picked up the paper and um what's fascinating though is he added in one sentence to his homily um that wasn't in the original typed Script And so I'm going to include that sentence and I'll point out when I get to it, which one it is. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Are you on the right hand or the left hand of our Lord? We refer to Jesus many times as the shepherd and we are the sheep who follow him. In other words, he leads us. When you went to the Holy Land, did you happen to see any sheep with a shepherd or any goats? A shepherd gets the attention of the sheep and they follow him when he wants to lead them to better pastures. Goats are driven from the rear, and they go where they want to go. They wander from one thing to another, and they may not be going to the best places. So are we following the shepherd and go where he goes? 
or are we going our own way? He tells the righteous in the gospel today and is telling us that when we feed the poor, when we welcome strangers, or when we visit the sick, what are we doing? We are conforming to Christ's law, the law of love, to love God and love our neighbor. He tells us today, when we do all these things for the least ones, we are doing them for Him. I have no doubt that you are the sheep, the followers of the bridegroom, and you do all these things as members of the monastery. But are there times when you as an individual may want to wander in another direction, maybe only in thought? I know I try to follow Christ, but there are times that I wander in other directions and need to be herded from behind as a goat is. We are being given a great opportunity during this upcoming Lent. And here's the sentence he added. It may be our last opportunity. We don't know what the future holds for us. Fasting and caring, we can become better sheep, better followers of Christ. We can better love Christ and those he puts in our lives. If we don't do this, he warns us what will happen, and we hear about the final judgment. All of us need to take heed of this warning and during this Lent become better sheep. Amen. Yeah, I, when I when I read that homily on your blog, I I I love how there was a little asterisk next to that line that that was a prophecy. Mm-hmm. You know, whether whether he knew it or not, they said the same thing about Bishop Gerald and even Father Wes Eiser that they had both the day they died when both of them died pretty suddenly um, from our eparchy that that they had both made little hints that they may whether they knew it you know consciously or not um, the end was was near mm-hmm. so. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Mother. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for also for mentioning the Prodigal Sons. We've got kind of all of pre-Lent up to this point mm-hmm. um, into one podcast. All right. Uh, prayer intentions. I'm going to do mine, then Mother will do hers, then Phil. And let's do a quick prayer intention, go around the room. Um, so if you guys can all think of something that we're going to pray for. Um, I I do want to pray for... Um, of course, the soul of Father John Kachuba, but also um, for the soul of Mark Wiggins, who is one of my cantors here. Um, his brother um, passed away suddenly. Um, I had just a kind of a heart wrenching. He called me, and I picked up, and and he called me. Uh, Matt did when they were trying to revive his brother, and and so they they weren't quite sure if he was going to die yet. But he was asking for prayers um, as they tried to revive him, and then he texted me a few minutes later. Right before divine leadership began, that um, that that um, he had passed away. I um, just pray for for the soul of Mark, and then also pray for for peace for his family. This is the first first sibling to pass away, um, um, at, at, as as an adult, and and it's it's uh, that's obviously really hard for any family. Um, and but we're going to have beautifully, we're going to have like thirty people, family and friends, at liturgy this evening. We're going to have a big uh, a meal afterwards. Um, and uh, and Matt even texted me this morning and said, or called me this morning, left a message and said, "Hey, you know, a, people, a couple of people asked about about confession." And I was like, mm. "Like that? That's a sign right there that that Mark's death is going to bear fruit." Mm-hmm. Just someone who's like, "I'm going back to church maybe for the first time in a while." I don't know why they want it, but I'm just guessing, um, you know. But they want confession first. I'm like, "What a beautiful act!" You know, this man 
is already doing in some way, whether it's God acting on his behalf. We, of course, pray for his soul, but also his, his maybe one of his first actions upon getting in front of our Lord was to ask that that for the repentance of those who are, are still left on earth and they're, they're doing that and coming to confession. So, so yeah, so please pray for the soul of, of Mark and, uh, and Father John Kachuba, mother. Um, yeah, I mean, Father John's the intention heaviest on my heart. Um, and he's really just, yeah, I love him very much. And he is the priest who, um, he was part of like bringing pre-sanctified back to our eparchy, um, which is a traditional Lenten service. Uh, he was really a big mover in bringing the married priesthood back to our eparchy, even though he himself had already vowed celibacy. And so he knew he wouldn't be able to be married. Um, and just like he did a lot for revitalizing the Eastern traditions in our, in our eparchy. So yeah, please just the repose of Father John. And, um, and also Beth did an intro on my last podcast and I referenced it on this one, but my grandma, um, Roberta died. And so please pay, pray for, um, the repose of her soul as well. It was, um, it was my first family funeral, which I realize is very odd when you're 31, uh, but I think it just like growing up in a military family, when someone in the family died, it was hard to just like pick up the four kids and come over from Cuba or whatever, you know. And so um, it was my first family funeral and uh, just really beautiful. And I'll share reflections on it, maybe even on my next podcast. I don't know. But um, yeah, Father John and then Roberta, Gigi. Amen. Phil? Uh, I like to pray for the soul of my father. Michael Angel Hurtado, who this is the second anniversary of his death. Today, yes. yes. Amen. Whaley. Oh, God. Sorry. I stole the mic. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> I would also like to ask for prayers for the souls of both of my parents. To, we're coming up here in the next couple of weeks, uh, or the next few weeks, on the anniversary of both of their death, one year and three year. Um, I'd like to ask for prayer for a woman named Catherine, who is the husband, a family that had a beautiful project that they, I'd spent some time working with, with my work, Calix, about, with a farm and some ideas they wanted to do for outreach. And she's having some health problems. So I would ask everyone pray for Catherine. Um, pray for, um, um, our friend, um, Noelle Maring is giving a talk and, uh, Santa Cruz this weekend and we're going to be coming going up to Santa Cruz and hanging out with her and Ann Bryling and her husband Adam and hopefully it'll be a good time and lots of um, good conversation and finally uh, my work with my project Calyx is at a real inflection point with a ton of really really important decisions about the strategy moving forward and what to do and this is really is kind of a midlife redefining of my life and what my work is going to look like and I'm trying to engage it prayerfully, but there's a lot of anxiety around it. So I would just selfishly ask for prayers for me and for Calix. Cowboy. Uh, just for a good friend, Karen, who's dealing with a lot of life and work stresses. All right. Thank you all. <laughs> and let's finish with a blessing. Uh, actually, spiel. Um, you could sorry, probably skip forgot. it if you want. 
Yeah, we're we're on all the platforms. Support us if you can. You know what you know what we're doing. All right. Father, Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> Lord bless you and keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord allow you to prepare uh, well for this beautiful season of benefit, of prayer and fasting, of almsgiving. May you, rather than only deciding what to do yourself, it'll be a benefit in preparation for the resurrection, but also listen to the words of the church, embrace them, uh, the words of all the, the various readings from the lectionary that our Lord speaks to the whole church, but also to us individually through these words of the word of God. May you, like Zacchaeus, uh, approach Christ's passion, death, and resurrection through this Lenten season with joy and with haste, with conviction. May you uh, resist any temptation to judge others or to exalt yourself in, in your own growth during this time. May our Lord keep the devil away and any seen enemy as well away from you this time that you may prepare well your heart. May you desire to love the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the ill, the imprisoned, and to see Christ's own voice as the shepherd uh, speaking to you and, and calling you through your care for the poor. May our Lord give you a, a heart open as well in every way so that participating well in his own resurrection, you may participate well and receive the gift of the salvation of your soul. May our Lord bless you in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Love you, Mother. God bless you. Love you. Love you, Phil, Cowboy, Andrew Whaley. Love you.